All right, now I'm recording, so there will be no more slurs. It's been not that long since we last recorded. Almost the full gestational period of a human child. Is this the longest break we've ever had, Nick? Yeah, uh, by a large margin, I think. I think our longest before was like, okay, so 2017, some stuff happened and we didn't record for about four or five months, but yeah. this has been a solid eight. Eight, wow. That is a long time. And I have to, listen, let me let me just start off by saying, Chris Gillyfor, you're with us as per usual now. You're a regular. We got to add you to the logo, all right? You're a console crusader, bro. Being on the logo art for a podcast, that's, uh, that's a, a life goal. <laughs> that's a bucket list checklist that's item. That's a dream. That's a white male fantasy. <laughs> it is, but like, okay, but low-key, high-key. Uh, also, I think, you know, I'll take a sizable portion of responsibility for us kind of falling off a cliff because I had fallen off a cliff, and that cliff was called finishing graduate school. And now that's done. But the boy did it. I, did. I sure did. I sure fucking did. They can't take it from me now. Chris has graduated again. Nick's a homeowner now. A lot's happened. In a weird way of going about it. Yeah, and I'm on day shift. Everything's changing. Everything's different. We're old. We're in our 30s now. Yeah. Being a podcaster in your 30s, this is... We've been working up to this for years. I mean, our whole lives led to this moment. This is this is our time. This is our prime. This is our infinity war. That's right. Uh, Chris Kelly for Nick Durham. Okay, podcast. Let me just. I just want to. I just want to put this out there off the bat. And I sent you, Chris, a long voice memo. Nick and I talked about it a little bit today, but I want to save this for the beginning of the podcast. Mm. There are a few reasons we haven't recorded. Obviously, you've been busy. You've been in fucking Europe, and you were back in Alaska, and now you're back in ball sweat city nick you've been busy with a move and a job chain all these things and 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 at some point in my life i just have to be i look i I step back and i say i've got a lot going on and if i'm not the engine that's keeping things churning so be it okay and we all just got busy with life that's fine but the real reason that i lost my motivation for doing this podcast is because and Nick, you're going to give me a lot of shit for this, as as you alluded to earlier today. But we have talked about the infamous KOTOR podcast, where we put in hours upon hours. I put in tens of hours, 70 to 80 of them, replaying and beating KOTOR, multiple different endings, so that we could have this conversation that we had well over a year ago. Now, it was the beginning of last year. So here's the story, guys. All right. I got about 55 minutes into the edit. Cruising along. We sound great. It's one of my favorite conversations about a game that I have ever had. It was a blast. I had to like back up some data to uh, uh, make some room on a laptop in, a, in the heat of a moment. I was like packing up to leave. I got to go. I got to make space. My hard drives are all in different places. So I back up the entire project folder, guys. Okay. Top to bottom. And then months and months go by, and I, I go back to edit it, and I can't find my audio. I have Chris's audio. I have Nick's audio. I have the session where it's you know an hour edited, but I can't find my audio. So for some reason, Audition decided to, to put my recorded audio in a separate folder outside of the project folder where everything else that was generated, my mixed down files exist there. So there's a clip of me from the intro 
where I like do the intro separate and I mix it down, f- test my effects and stuff. That ended up in the project folder, but my raw audio is gone. I bought a, a piece of software to do data recovery. I've checked multiple SSDs and hard drives that I use. It's just gone. It's just gone. And that really, it really sucked the piece of me, but not in the fun way, you know? Chris, I hope you forgive me because we played it, but we had a good time. Nick, I hope you forgive me because you sat through that three-hour conversation waiting for us to finish. Yeah, I mean, you, you've you beaten yourself up more than I could possibly beat you up over it. So It's not the first time we've lost a podcast, and it certainly won't be the last time. Oh, God, yeah, that's true. That's true. We've lost many a pod. So anyway, I want to get that out of the way. I'm sorry. It sucks. I think about it, and it crushes my soul because it was a great podcast. And that was really the beginning of this whole idea we had briefly where we were like, let's play games and do just like a podcast about a single game. And we did Donkey Kong, and you guys did Metroid, which was fun to listen to. And I hope we do more of it. We just won't lose the podcast next time. I won't lose the podcast next time. All right? I think, first of all, of course, I forgive you. And second of all, I think that this is just an excuse when our limited run copies show up to do another replay on Switch and then replay it on the second one when the restored content DLC hits also for the Switch version. So we can play it with some like honest to God controller controls instead of the like god awful Frankenstein mouse plus controller plus keypad thing I had to do to get it to work on Steam. So I I played Kotor on the X, Xbox one, or Xbox Series backwards compatibility. So the, for the first game, I had proper controls, and that's the first time I've ever played it that way, and it was amazing. Trying to play Kotor two on the PC, yeah, with like Xpatter or whatever Steam profile you download is just so shitty. So it'll be nice on the Switch, and I'll do it again. I'll do it again, damn it! And we'll make Nick listen to us again, god damn it! And I think the funny thing is between uh you guys doing your conversation about KOTOR, they announced and canceled a KOTOR like ground up remake. So it'll be perfectly timely no matter when you decide to play it again. Oh yeah. Good segue. Yeah. It's been delayed and definitely they fucking Metroid prime Ford it. They were like, this does this not happen? look like we want this to look like, like, like within the last week delayed indefinitely. It's in big trouble. No. Yeah. They fired the art director and the like creative director that was in charge uh, of it. So they yeah. like, what? they not only, delayed it they just said we we they killed the people in charge of it wow i know there are a lot of factors going into developing games budget time especially we've talked about how the the time of these projects is compressed like we still need to release a game every two to three years but games are getting harder and harder to make so the crunch get you know and that's obviously become a topic of you know heated debate in the games industry but like it feels like there's such a blueprint for making a good game Technically speaking, obviously, the, there's there's a lot of juice that goes into it that you either have the juice or you don't. But it just feels like, how difficult can it be? The entire game's done. You don't need to reinvent the fucking wheel. I'm sure a lot of it has to do with scope and just deciding how much do they want to reinvent. I mean, you see the success of like Resident Evil 2 and how well that performed as a remake or Final Fantasy 7. And obviously, Aspire is not the kind of studio that has the the budget or the manpower to do anything of that scale. But I think they might've had some aspirations to do something above and beyond what they're known for, which is primarily just a port studio. Like they're the ones that put KOTOR on iPhone like 10 years ago or whatever. So 
they're not necessarily the studio that's had this big of a project, but with Sony backing and Lucas, they're whatever iteration they are with their hands on gaming. But I'm sure they wanted to do something bigger than that. And obviously <laughs> that's not happening anytime soon. Like Chris said, the Switch version, when we get our physical copies in, who knows when that might actually be, <laughs> given the nature of these things. But yeah. We'll, oh, God. Yeah. We'll revisit it. This leads me to a question that I have for you guys. What's your question? I know you guys make fun of me because I don't play a lot of RPGs. And, and I was texting in the group chat about this Pokemon hack that I played and loved. Literally fucking best Pokemon game I've played in like my adult life is this completely like four person team fan made game. I really want to talk about it, but I also want to make you guys play it so we can see like a pot about it. Cause it's, uh, but that might just be building up too much and y'all might not have time for that. So maybe we, we'll just put it on the list to talk about later today, but it's been eight months, but I feel like I've played fewer games in the, that amount of time than I have in any other eight month stretch. I know, Nick, you were feeling similarly. Yeah, I've just kind of dipped my toes into uh, a few, just some some of the first party releases from Nintendo. Like, I think we've all played at least a little bit of Arceus. I think Chris played the most. Uh, same with Kirby. I put a few hours in. I just started Xenoblade. That just came out on Friday. I was surprised I even got it because I did. There was a big debacle with the my Nintendo store where they're doing the pre-orders for the special edition, which the special edition contents don't come out until September because of the weird shenanigans they did where they pushed the release date up. So I got the game, but nothing else. And I was even surprised I got the game as early as I did, considering Nintendo is not known for their promptness and shipping out physical goods. <laughs> Would you have waited until the DLC and getting your copy if that was the route they took? Well, they wouldn't be doing DLC with a special edition. It's more like an art book and like oh, oh, various oh. little accoutrement. But okay, I, I just wanted to have that because the art book for Xenoblade 2 was really tight and had like some really cool concept art and stuff like that, especially since in Xenoblade 2, they had a bunch of different like manga artists and uh, people in the industry from other games. Like they had Nomura do the design for like the whole villain team in that game, which was super cool. Especially because Nomura is a good designer of characters, especially when he's not the one in control of everything. Because when he's in control of everything, that's when you get clown shoes and uh, big ass belts everywhere. <laughs> it gets all Kingdom Heartsy. It's a problem. You gotta rein him in. But he's a good artist besides that. I mean, Final Fantasy VII has some of the most iconic characters of all time. And that's partially, I would say, thanks to him. I know you played Xenoblade Chronicles uh, and then Xenoblade Chronicles... Wait, what's the timeline of this? There was the Wii U one. X? Is that right? I never never played the Wii U one. Okay. Trevor played the Wii U one, and uh, I never, just never got into it. Uh, I then played Xenoblade 2 when that came out in 2017. Right. And then I played the definitive edition of the original Xenoblade when that came out two years ago. So I've played the mainline series. I also played the expansion for Xenoblade 2, which was basically its own RPG. Like, it was a 40-hour game. It was a full-ass game. Wow. But... I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend playing the expansion without playing the base game because if you're interested in the story at all, it's very like rel it's you can't watch a prequel. You can't do the machete cut of anything. I think it's a bad idea. You have to watch it in chronological order of release. Prequels are made with the intent of appealing to people who've seen the property that's a prequel of. You can't just go watch, you know, one, two, three of Star Wars and then four, five, six, and then expect to have a good time. You could. Well, you can't really watch one, two, three. Uh, uh, or seven, eight, and nine. I expect to have a good time anyway. But any enjoyment you may derive out of those, 
as not a six-year-old person, uh, yeah, you you, you want to watch the OT first. I'm not taking that bait. I'm sorely tempted to, <laughs> but I am not taking that bait. I will tell you what I've been playing, though. Uh, and like like Nick, it's been pretty limited just uh, from sheer amount of available hours. Like Some nights I get back from rehearsal and the only thing I would have energy to do is like eat a gummy and have a snack and then go to bed. Um, so I played, I played Arceus. I played like, uh, probably about mm, nearly 70 hours, 75 hours of that game. Beat that to full completion. All Pokedex entries at level 10. Like with post game stuff too. I know there was like a whole thing where you could do post game with, uh, the legendaries and everything. Oh yeah. And the, I, yeah. And I could talk, I could talk about that. Uh, if we want to get into Pokemon legends, I know EJ's got some hilarious, uh, notes that he <laughs> shared when he, when he gave it, uh, the old college try to get into that. And then Kirby <laughs> devoured Kirby, adored it, played it to hundred percent completion ah. cooperatively with my spouse. Absolutely loved it. I, I need to know about Kirby because I didn't buy it. I was really disappointed with, with, with star allies or whatever it was called. The first, foray onto the switch or whatever that one seemed really weak just based on what little context i had with it i think andrew bought it and i watched him play for a little bit and i was like this just seems like a like a bog standard kind of kirby right like a very uh low stakes kind of affair whereas forgotten land i was like you know this kirby guy he could be going places from my understanding this is like not not totally one for one in the analogy but this is sort of like mario's Sort of uh, like Mario Odyssey it's 3D came world. out, and it's the 3D. Okay, it's 3D world, so it's not fully 3D like Odyssey. Nope, it's a no camera okay. control. Okay, it's cute vignettes. You're going to a little area. You're just sort of kicking around stuff in the stage. You're interacting with things. It's just a it's just a video game ass video game, and has the same problems every other Kirby has, where he moves slowly and it's not difficult. As far as I've gotten, I know that it you can challenge yourself more with later stuff in the game, but just. It's it's a nice time. It's really good. I've been playing a little bit with Lindsay here and there when, when we both have uh, corresponding time slots to interact with it. But yeah, it's a it's a good game. How how is the multiplayer on that? Is it? Oh, it's it's fucking delightful. Player one is Kirby. Player two is Bandana Waddledy. Uh, he's got all the same types of moves, which is to say, aerial moves, held moves. Uh, he can dash. He can roll. And depending Projectile. on what. Projectile, yeah, and then depending on what level upgraded power you have, uh, all of Bandana Waddle attacks proportionally are also stronger. Um, so if I have like the level three sword power up, then proportionally it's going to have like level three damage on on whoever's playing uh, the second player. And also uh, Kirby's health bar determines failure of level and restart at checkpoint not bandana waddle d so it's oh. good for a second player who doesn't play games as often doesn't play platformers is interested in a more casual time uh it also leads to you know that player can definitely tank out really hard uh i'm pretty sure the boss hp scales for two people uh because going back and doing the coliseum stuff solo I was like, this feels a lot easier than it was with two of us. When Tiffany was literally just like standing up there, like wailing on whoever we happen to be fighting at any given time. So the co-op's great. Co-op's great. Are you 100% the game? I 100%ed the game and I enjoyed every minute of it. And it is difficult. The post game pretty gnarly. The post game is pretty gnarly. I'm not going to lie. And I, uh, when I was 
visiting Oregon the week of the fourth. Uh, I had an afternoon up at uh, Joey's place in Kirkland uh, when we were seeing dad before we were seeing dad uh, up in Granite Falls and he hadn't finished the last uh, piece of it yet. And so I jumped in as bandana waddle D and it took us, I think more attempts than it took Tiffany and I to beat it. Um, so like it was, it was hard. And like Joey is objectively a much better gamer than I am. Like he's playing games that are actually like hard <laughs> and I do not. He's playing Elden Ring. You're playing Kirby. <laughs> oh yeah. I played Elden Ring. I forgot about that. But <laughs> <laughs> 120 hours in that game. Oops. I push back a little bit on the notion that like it's quote unquote, not difficult Kirby. Uh, I think that if you want to just like beat the levels fine, like sure. But I think that most every first party Nintendo game, if you want to just beat the levels, none of them are hard. I think it's kind of like a limp dick review take at this point. Honestly, like this game's too easy. This game's too hard. I'm like, how about we just fucking take the game on its merits and Kirby Thank does you. so much well that I'm like, what the fuck are we? I mean, can I can I go on this rant? Can I do it? Please. Yeah, I'm with you. I would just say that, I mean, any criticism is valid criticism if it's like a thing that you don't like. So it, it's a purely subjective medium. So if a game is easy and you don't like that, it's easy, then you can say I don't like it because it's easy. It's not like that's a it's a tired drum that's, to that's, beat. And I understand that. And you, you sort of know what you're getting into when, you, when it comes to Kirby. But it doesn't ask very much of you. And I can I can I can at least sort of see where they're coming from for from a reviewer standpoint. That's like me playing Gran Turismo and being like, I don't like racing cars. That's what I'm fucking saying here. Like it's, that's why I think it's a lip dick review take because if the reviewer is going purely subjectively, I don't like this. They're already bad at their job. Like they, their job <laughs> is to look at the game, not through their own personal interpretive lens, but through the lens of what is the average person any person picking up this game, like what is who who plays games? Like what are they what what are they going to think? Like what what does it do on its own, irrespective of what I think it needs to do? Because I think that's just a a awful 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 cancerous idea to go. Well, I think it should have done X. Like no one cares. You didn't make the game. Uh, no, no, I'm over it. I'm over it. And I also think that it's it's more more difficult than people give it credit for. The challenges are genuinely uh, will genuinely challenge you, especially once you get into a lot of the power specific, like every power and every upgrade of every power has like a challenge level, basically that forces you to get really good at using that specific power with all of its like abilities, quirks, idioms and and workarounds. And they're hard like they're not they're not easy. Uh, I just like I look at this game, which has like an 84 on open critic. And then I look at Pokemon Legends, which, you know, I also put like 75 hours into that has an 83 on open critic and going, you're telling me one point separates these games like that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Kirby is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> audio. Uh, it is one of the it, it is the most beautiful Kirby game ever. It's one of the better looking switch titles, period, full stop. The soundtrack is gorgeous. The level design is is good. I mean, it's it's a Kirby game. You're moving from point A to point B. It's not open world, whatever, like. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful game. It plays great. It handles great. And in the post game, it's got stuff for people who really want to push themselves. Pokemon Legends. Pokemon Legends looks like the inside of a garbage disposal. It is <laughs> one of the ugliest video games I have ever played in my life. And if you will recall, when we were talking about this prior to it coming out, I went, I want to wait and see. I want to have my hands on it first. Like, I'm not passing judgment until I play it. I played it. It's fucking ugly. 
And it's so fucking yeah. ugly that it literally gets in the way of me being able to execute the functions of the fucking game. Like, and that's one point of difference. Like, are you, are you <laughs> fucking kidding me? Because it revolutionized the series. Yeah. And it still looks like ass. It looks so bad. It doesn't even sound good. There's like five audio tracks that they just loop endlessly at sometimes not even at like consistent parts of the day night cycle. I don't fucking get it. I don't fucking get it. How, how are you going to tell me these are one point different? Like Kirby for me, 89. I'm not willing to put it in 90 territory, but that's an 89 game. It's a fucking joy to play. It's challenging. It's beautiful. What fucking more do you want? I don't want to hear about difficulty. Why are you knocking a Kirby game for not being difficult? They've literally never been difficult. That's the fucking point of Kirby games is to be accessible for people. But that's a bad thing now. Oh, uh, thanks from software. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk Elden Ring. And I've watched enough of it to to appreciate what it does. But that's one of the things that I'm worried about now is with the success of Elden Ring. You know, we're going to have all these haphazard fucking ripoffs trying to just make crushingly difficult. And the open world game thing has already been beaten to the ground. But they're going to double down on it. Oh, this map's bigger than GTA by a factor of three. And it's you know the hardest game in the franchise. To it's like, that's not what makes Elden Ring good. The difficulty is not what makes it good. Some people are, you know, total masochists. It's the same kind of people who, like, do hardcore Nuzlocke runs on fucking Pokemon games. You know, like people who want that level of frustration and, and challenge. That's cool. But the thing about Kirby, it's exactly like you said. It doesn't need to be difficult to be enjoyable. I'm okay with a, a a relatively easy point A to point B with enough challenge in the sort of collectible aspect to like make my own challenge, you know? There's enough to collect, enough replayability. And that's the difference for me because I know we beat the, the Pokemon thing in the ground when we look at something like Arceus or, or a mainline Pokemon game and we complain about what it should do, what it could do. That's because Pokemon started off as a ripoff of another franchise and continues to try and not reinvent itself. Arceus isn't reinventing anything. They're trying to take baby steps into a modern sort of version of what that franchise could be. And that's the difference in looking at something like Pokemon and something like Kirby is Kirby has kind of been what it's been since day one. And they've just iterated and improved. Whereas like Pokemon has tried to do all these other things and just really, really poorly. So I think there's room to criticize a game that's trying to do something and could be doing more. And that fine line between like, this game is doing what it does best. And if you don't, if that's not for you, that's fine. I don't play Xenoblade Chronicles for 90 hours or 190 hours because I know it's not for me, but it's sure as fuck for Nick. And that's tight, you know, and I would never, I would never play Xenoblade Chronicles and, and be like, this fucking game sucks because uh, too many, too many menus. Oh, uh, it's grindy. Oh, uh, it's obtuse. Oh, uh, that's what it fucking is. It's a pretty silly discourse. I'm going to buy Kirby, dude. Although I have so many games in my backlog that I'm like, I'm going to play this game. And then it just sits there. Kirby seems really achievable, too, as far as like time spent. I feel like you can get through that in like 30 hours. Easy. Easy. That's a lot of time, fellas. Depends on how type A you get about all the collecting stuff. How much time have you put into Call of Duty Warzone? See, this is different. It is, but it's also, it, it's not. Like, it's sacrificing some social time because you can sort of put that into the bucket of like, this is me hanging out with the boys, blowing off some steam. But you know, you can blow off some steam with your boy Kirby as well. He's your boy too. Have you thought about that? It's funny because like today when you called me, I was like playing Call of Duty solo, but like, 
2% of the time I play Warzone is by myself. It is almost exclusively with people, and that's what it is. It's the social aspect. It's the team-oriented cooperation. It's the sort of high-intensity. There's a really high skill ceiling. All those things, the competitiveness, that that's what makes me want to play that game every single day with my buddies. Whereas, you know, I started Stray last week before I left for vacation. Part of me wants to go back to it, but the other part of me is like, I just like was kind of bored. And that's just me with most single-player games, which sucks because there are single-player games that I really want to experience. And and I've noticed this about me, like the idea of collecting something, and I know I've talked about this, but like not, not necessarily just collecting things, but like checking the boxes, feeling like I am accomplishing something and not just like going from point A to point B in, in Mario 3D World is not that fun. Unless there's the bigger stake of like, you got to get your three stars and you got to get your stamp and you got to unlock the secret world so you can fucking 100% it. That's what informs my enjoyment of the process. And without that overarching goal, it, yeah, you don't you don't have that motivation. And it's the same thing with Pokemon. I don't enjoy anymore as a 30-year-old man just going from point A to point B and oh, I beat the gyms. They're way too easy games. But when you start, you, you put that little, complete your Pokedex at the end of that stick. I'm like, oh. That's why Let's Go was great, because I could complete my living decks achievably, and it felt like I was playing for something. And, dude, now, okay, this maybe this is a tangent we save here, but Chris, you played all that Arceus. I just discovered Pokemon Home, like, and, and they just had a 2.0 update a few months ago, and so I kind of got on that train. It's, like, reinvigorated me to, like, just blow through. Like, I just restarted and beat uh, Pearl or a Diamond and I've been like transferring everything from Let's Go over to Home and organizing and I'm like I'm going to do a living decks of all 800 Pokemon. I went onto my 3DS and transferred everything into Bank into Home and I'm like I'm on that train. I have a reason to play Pokemon again. Oh let's let's do this tangent because because I want to I'm going to do you one better here. I, I did the same thing six years ago prior to the infrastructure for all this. It's a little out of date now uh, because it's only it's only current through moon and I have the rest of them on the other like uh, subsequent games. But I took everything from Gen three all the way through sun and moon was Gen seven all the way up to Gen seven. When you say Gen three, is this the remakes or GBA? Fire red and leaf green. I'm talking uh, ruby and sapphire Game Boy Advance carts. I moved everything up. Were you pal parked everything. I did. I pal parked everything. Is pal park the weird like hackney fucking safari thing that they yes. had, where you're like, oh, you get it, but you have to earn it and you have to like catch it again six at a time. Ugh. Six at a time. <laughs> Thanks. My entire yeah. living Pokedex has wow. come from games that I owned, and I moved. I got them all into Sun and Moon. I finished a fucking living national decks all the way through Sun and Moon. And it's still sitting there. Uh, now that Pokemon Home's out, I'm like, ah, I need to get this off of my copy of Moon uh, before that breaks. And there was a period of time, actually, where it was in my la- launch day OG 3DS uh, that I lost for like eight months. And I thought, like, that's it. It's gone. I did it, and I will never see it again. But I did it, and people know. They saw it. Uh, and I found it again. I went, oh, my God. Okay, so, you know, fragility of everything i suppose uh, i need to get it into pokemon home i need to get all the hisuian versions out of arceus i need to get all the sword and shield original critters out of there i'm probably missing a couple like stupid event only mythicals that i can somebody just trade me their like program generated ones i don't care um 
I'll I'll I'll, I'll figure the it Pokemon out. Pokemon Go it exclusive Mel Metal or whatever. Oh, and yeah. that's another thing. Like speaking of Pokemon games, uh, and, and like time spent doing things, I've been a daily Pokemon Go player for almost two years. That when I got up to Greensboro, there are so many Pokestops around my apartment and on the UNCG campus that I could walk like play when I'm walking around campus in between classes and like going to and from campus to my apartment and basically complete like all the events, all the special research, like everything that's going on. So I probably like on average on this, especially considering the days where I put like actually solid playtime in when they're having like the go to or, or events like probably average like an hour a day in the last two years. So you do the fucking math about how many hours I've put into that game. I just started playing Pokemon go again, like literally last week uh, on my vacation when I discovered that all the three DS games and all the switch games and Pokemon go all link up to home. And I'm like, Oh my God, a living decks, a living national decks is like, seems so achievable now. It's a grind, but, and and Chris, what you're saying is I'm going to have to guilt you into really helping me out come the holiday time to get some of these things finished in my book. <laughs> Dude, I got you. I got you. Like I, I, I'm, I'm pulling up my cop, uh, uh, pulling up go right now so I can give you my readouts. I'm working on a living national in go right now. And I have 725 so far. Wow. That's almost everything. Only another 11 beyond that, that I've seen. Um, and some of it is stuff that they haven't released yet. Like they've never released Kecleon. So like it's impossible to get the platinum medal for Hoenn right now because they literally haven't released all right. of the Pokemon for it. Um, yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, you are welcome to them. So here's the problem for me. The Pokemon Go Pokemon enter home with a giant, ugly Pokemon Go stamp on their foreheads. And that for me as a, as a, mentally ill perfectionist I, I, ba- I basically I transferred like six boxes from Pokemon Go and when I realized you couldn't I thought oh I'll transfer the Sword and Shield and then back to to home didn't get rid of the stamp and you can't toggle it it's not like in the summary it says where the game's from it's just in the icons and I'm like I want it to all look pretty and uniform when I look at my boxes no just this big ugly stamp on the Pokemon Go shit so sadly I gave up on that endeavor after about a week of playing again. What the concentration camp is this shit? I I transferred some stuff into my playthrough of Diamond Pearl and and didn't think much of it. But yeah, when it's back in home. Anyway, what a dumb thing for a 30-year-old man to to squabble about. Do you guys want to hear my review of Pokemon Go from July 17th, 2016, two weeks after the game came out? You wrote this down? So badly. Fuck yeah. It's an official review on the Google Play Store. Oh, hell yeah. I wrote... I gave it four out of five stars. Okay. My uh, my headline was a good start. Great fun. Captures that early Pokemon feeling of collecting and training your monsters. Gyms are a bit rough at the moment. And of course, survey issues are frequent. Hopefully those are figured out and more features are added. Also, it's a huge battery drain. Not too bad on data, though. So it bounces out. You know, I'm impressed with how they built the game up. Not only how many Pokemon are in it, but like there's a battle system and I still don't understand how a lot of the stuff works now with like raids and gym battle. Like I, that stuff oh wasn't God. really there when I was there. It's so good now. Like that's just it is I hadn't touched it from like early 2017 until 2020. And it's a completely yeah. different game, completely different game. If there's one thing Niantic like does well, it's support their fucking games. I mean, they, what was the one game that this was sort of based off of? 
that had such a hardcore fan following. Ingress, I don't know if it's still around, but like, I mean, I knew people like deep cut Ingress fans who were like, oh yeah, this is my shit. And hey, kudos to them. They kept building it. And the fact that we're six years out from the inception of this game, it's pretty shocking and that it's still going strong. Cool, man. That's cool. It's 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 good fun for what it is. I had fun playing it. Of course, once the uh, that carrot was ripped off the end of the stick in the form of a big ugly stamp on my Pokemon's foreheads, you know, I I dropped it as quick as I picked it up. But I, I texted you guys yesterday. But I got my 3ds out and charged it up and popped some of my games in. And my copy of Sun and Moon and my copy of of XY whatever iterations they were. I have no I had no Pokemon. And I was like, my Pokedex says 400 and something. Where'd all my Pokemon go? And I realized, oh, I must have downloaded uh, uh, Pokemon Bank. So I download Bank again and I log in and it says your subscription is lapsed or whatever. And I'm like, okay, so I haven't had a subscription since when did that launch? 2017? 2016? I mean, I, w- when was that? A long time ago. Ultra Sun and Moon, I think, was 17. I think Sun and Moon was 2016. That makes before sense. Before the Switch. So, so whenever Pokemon Bank dropped, a long time ago, five, six years, I had a year subscription for five bucks or whatever. Haven't thought about it once since then. So I go online. I look up like, are my Pokemon, do they still exist? And people were like, Nintendo's official statement on it is basically, if your subscription lapses, we will keep them for an undetermined amount of time. And all the horror stories on Reddit were like, my subscription lapsed for a week and everything's gone. I lost my entire Pokedex or whatever. So I was like, well, that sucks. Well, whatever, right? Like I haven't, X and Y was 10 years ago, you know? So whatever. Dude, I I paid for a new subscription and I popped in and all of my boxes were there. And I was like blown away. I mean, it's it's 2022. How is that even? So I I felt extremely fortunate. Not that I think I had anything great, but there's a lot there. At the time I was going for, you guessed it, a living deck. So I had everything sorted by sicko, my finished evolutions, you know, to breed and then all of my, you know, sort of random trade fodder, and it was all organized. And I was just like, "Oh my god, I was really sweating this out <laughs> ten years ago or whatever." So anyway, we're back on it as an old ass man. But let me let me ask y'all, Nick, have you played any Pokemon fan games or specifically hacks, ROM hacks, uh, based on a particular entry in the series? Not really. I think. The most I've played of a Pokemon fan game wasn't even a ROM hack. I think it was Pokemon Uranium because that was uh, that was the hotness for a bit there. My m- most experience I've had with uh, fan games is watching people stream them. And even then, it's mostly just sort of them checking it out and being like, oh, this is interesting. They did this with the, the base game. You know, usually it's like a full overhaul sort of, you know, taking the tile set and building a whole new world and right. even adding new Pokemon and like doing that whole thing but generally it seems like it seems like what you would expect from a pokemon fan game as far as the writing quality and sort of uh who they are as creators and who their target audience is where it's a very sort of juvenile maybe of the age range and maturity of like a deviantart sort of quality i mean yeah it's very aspirational and it's really cool that pokemon gives young creators a template to sort of work from and i think that rom hacks in general it's either hey we're really hardcore into this and we want to make it even harder or we're really hardcore into this and we want to express ourselves with a variety of new monsters and new types and sort of tweaking the balance of it and playing around in that 
that sort of template. And I think that's really cool, but it's never been anything that I've uh, had any interest in, especially since I find it hard to sort of get into Pokemon when it's real Pokemon, as opposed to even just the fake Pokemon. You know, historically, I have only been into ROM hacks if they were improving an experience I'd already had. Right. Pokemon Red full color using all of Gen 2 assets to sort of create the what I at the time called the idealized version of my nostalgia. It looks and feels like the games I grew up with, but it's polished. It fixes a lot of the, obviously a lot of the Gen 1 stuff, but a lot of the Gen 2 stuff too. But it looks like that era of that sort of, what was that, like a three-year gap in America those games came out? Yeah. There's a lot of really good, there's actually a uh, website, I think it's literally called romhacking.net that uh, you can search up ROM hacks and there's a, there's a ton for Game Boy and NES especially, but a lot of those are they're categorized. So you can see, okay, this is a full overhaul. This is a brand new game or this is a quality of life improvement. Like I love the ones that especially like, for example, Link's Awakening has that italicized font and it's really hard to read. There's a, a variable width of font ROM hack that fixes it and it's not italicized and you can actually read what you're doing. It fixes it so that when you pick up the power up, it doesn't give you the little pop up that says, yeah. hey, you picked up this acorn. So you're you have higher defense for the next 30 seconds. It doesn't play the annoying music. It's just like, yeah, you got the thing. You just go do your thing. You know what you're doing. I love those. So it's really cool that there is a variety of different kinds of ROM hacks. All of this I bring up because I, I busted out my analog pocket um, after one of the recent firmware updates. Not the most recent one that I think we'll talk about in a bit, but I I just I just wanted to play something. I just had the hankering and I, I just didn't have the motivation to play do another sort of obligatory playthrough a game I've played 20 times. And again, without and the motivation. Run. Yeah, and, and the speedrun, I got into Pokemon again in like 2016 trying to speedrun stuff. And that was fun for a while. It gave me that sort of motivation again and, and scratch that itch. But I was like, I just don't want to do that. So I started looking into ROM hacks. And and I had played one last year, um, or like right after the pocket came out. And I like, uh, 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 what was it called? Um, it, it was a Gen 2, sort of based on Gen 2. And it had its own region and some new Pokemon, but that doesn't really interest me. Like, I don't want to play, like, when I think of a fan game, like, I don't want to play a fucking fan fiction. You know what I mean? Like, that's not yeah. generally for me, which is ironic because I found a hack called Pokemon Fire Red Rocket Edition. And it caught my eye, and this isn't anything new. There, there have been hacks that have done this to, to varying degrees of success. But what this game sells itself on is you play as a member of Team Rocket. And the sort of main mechanic in the game is you steal Pokemon from trainers you beat in battle. And I'm like, cool. That sounds interesting enough to try it on a on a lark, right? So I downloaded it. I, I fired it up. I was not prepared for the next week of my life. I had so much fun with it. Not only because, and, it, and at times it does sort of what you said. Not not quite the deviant art sort of, but like there's there's some like kind of cheeky, cringy stuff. But a lot of it, it story wise, is like got this very meta like self-aware sort of vibe to it. And I won't spoil the story. I really want to, but like it's just a it's just a stupid and fun meta commentary sort of from our perspective in 1999 or whatever. Like that's the best way I can sort of describe it. And so that I got a kick out of. There are all these easter eggs that are direct references to like like I told you guys, I found a Mew under a truck. You know, and it's like of course that has to be in there. That's fun. That's been probably done a 100 times in these fan games. But there's Several more of those sort of fan influenced theories that made their way into this game. And the story 
the way they quote unquote canonized certain things was fun. And like I said, cheeky. It's just, it does it, but not in like a, a typical way you'd expect of a fan game where it's like taking itself so seriously that it's, it's, it's cringy, you know? I don't know. I, again, I don't want to spoil anything because if we do play it, it's, it's fun to, I'm glad I didn't, I wasn't spoiled because every time there was sort of a reveal, I was like, oh, that's fun. It made it worth it. So from a story perspective, without even a, a fucking second thought, this is the best story a Pokemon game, legit or otherwise, has ever had, in my opinion. There was actually meaning to the things you did and it didn't hold your hand. From a gameplay perspective, the mechanic of stealing Pokemon was very cool, but the difficulty curve was shocking. I had to grind and I had to actually think strategically. I had to use status moves, you know, and it's not overwhelmingly difficult. It's not a fucking Nuzlocke run, you know, but you had to think about team composition and and think carefully about the next Pokemon you were going to steal. And then early in the game, it introduces a flipping morality system where you basically have a bounty that increases the more Pokemon you steal. And that sort of gates you off from certain side quests. It gates you like you're if you have a high bounty, you can't buy anything from stores. So that completely it's like, okay, do I want stronger Pokemon or do I want to be able to like fucking buy potions, you know? And so you start <laughs> making these decisions on how you're gonna play. And then you can decrease your bounty by turning in stolen Pokemon and, and your bounty decreases relative to the strength of the Pokemon. I run my bounty up to catch something great, and then I go catch a bunch of shitty Pokemon to get my bounty down so I can go stock up. And the game gives you very little money, like very, like 50, you know, currency per win. You can't just be like, all right, I'm going to buy everything I need at the beginning. Like you really have to actually think about how you're playing this game, which is something Pokemon has not done. I'm 30 years old, 15 years. I have not had to think about playing a Pokemon game. You just kind of do it. And so that was cool that, and I know you, you sort of made fun of me. You're like, imagine if EJ played any game. Or any other RPG besides Pokemon. And that's valid. <laughs> yeah. You're describing, you know, games that have a balanced economy is most of them. Pokemon has never been one of them. Correct. But it's cool seeing in a Pokemon game and in a version yeah. of Pokemon no, I get that, that is... I get that. It's the nostalgia of playing on my GBA at, at, at camp and, like, you know, catching, you know, the fucking Tauros or whatever. But now you're stealing it from the weirdo up at Nugget Bridge. Yeah. <laughs> So again, it's sort of this like modern take through the lens of of, of my childhood nostalgia. Um, so yeah, side quests and a morality system and things that, of course, I've played in a hundred other games, and as as we all have, seeing it in this version of Pokemon was just a delight. And the story is what kept me going. The way they weave in different characters and different fan theories, and again, the meta commentary. Is it supposed to be taking place in the the context of the the red sort of era? Yes, it is a direct, I mean, it is parallel to Red's journey. So you run into him and you fight him multiple times. It puts a whole new spin on like the characterization of Oak and Lance and, the, and sort of the main uh, uh, catalyst for this whole story. You know, it canonizes, quote unquote, canonizes the, the Johto Kanto war. And that's sort of the driving force behind the story here. You know, Lance is the war hero from Johto who, 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 they basically conquered Kanto and and it and it's has this whole uh secondary story revolving around Mewtwo and sort of the team that brought Mewtwo to life with Blaine and Mr. Fuji and Oak um and another character um and Giovanni and it and it just weaves everything together in such a way that Pokemon's never done on their own. 
And again, because it's parallel to Red's story, so you're seeing everything that you've played a hundred times. You're seeing sort of the other side. And and I was gonna say I'm like a big fan of Coheed and Cambria, right? And I won't go down this rabbit hole, but there's a concept album where for out al- three albums they've been telling this story. And then the singer of the band introduced a character who's creating the story within the story, which is just like stupid, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's Claudio just masturbating all over himself. Exactly. But there's a little nod to that concept in this. Well, not so little uh, at one point where, where yeah, it's like it's meta within the universe and sort of the canon they're, they're building based on some of the fan theories. But also, like as a thirty-year-old who played these games as a, as an eight-year-old, it has a couple of moments where they're like, "Hey, buddy, this is for you too," you know. And it's just like, what a delight! I really want you guys to experience it. It is not a super long experience. It's it's a ten-hour affair, probably less because you guys aren't bad at video games like me. And it's really the only fan game that I've ever. Like, I can't believe I'm sitting here just done ten minutes on this fucking game, gushing over it. <laughs> I've never heard such a effulgent praise uh, from you for any for anything, frankly. Oh um, come on! <laughs> my uh, other than the bros, you 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 prop the bros up all the time, all day, every day. Yeah, uh, they're all right. They're all right. They're okay. All right. But my question for you is: Can you get me a physical? I'm sure you can get one on Etsy. Yeah, they're they're definitely on Etsy. Uh, I looked at them. I don't know because this this ROM I think just got finished in 2020 after like seven years of development. And then it had an update more recently than that, I think. Yeah, last year, as far as I can... That sounds right. Um, so I don't know if those are the most recent versions. I played it on the Analog Pocket uh, via a Crix EverDrive. So I was sort of playing it physically in a roundabout way because being able to play it on a handheld is just so much different than playing it on a computer, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Chris, do you still have a, an Advance or an SP? Oh, yeah. I might let you... Uh, so I just ordered two more EverDrives... Did you get the little one, the latest one that he just uh, put out? I so I ordered two basically clone identical copies of the ones that I bought a couple years ago. They're the same. Mm-hmm. He hasn't updated them. He he did a slight update to the GB one to be compatible with analog. because uh, my original one was sadly there's some voltage problem that made it incompatible. So he fixed yeah. that. So I bought an updated one of those a few months ago. And then and of course this guy's Ukrainian. He was displaced because of the war. Operating out of Spain now, which is good. I'm glad he's doing okay. So he's sort of trickling things out um, intermittently. So I have I have my tweet notifications on whenever his store puts posts something. So I managed to snag a third Game Boy Color one and a second Game Boy Advance one. So Because um, I wanted my brother to play this, and he has an analog that he doesn't get much use out of. You mentioned earlier, but I haven't also... Uh, looked into it at all, but I did see a post that they did on Twitter about their new uh, firmware update. What's what's going on with that? Are they finally adding you to the? Is it is it opened? Is it unlocked? Or is it just sort of the precursor to that? It is. We officially have the first jailbreak of the analog pocket. It's still in its infancy. There was sort of a workaround for Game Boy, Game Boy Color games through the GB like studio or whatever. Yeah, they pretty quickly uh, added a, an ability where you could take ROMs and just patch them into that format so that you could just run it off this off the game, right. run it off the, the handheld itself. But that was kind of hacky, and you can only store like a certain amount. And it was just one step between just loading ROMs onto an SD card and cracking them open, which is what you kind of want to do. Right. Also, the other systems, like getting it to run SNES and you know other systems you'd want to play off of it. 
So so analog just dropped their uh, a new firmware, and then some mysterious individual dropped the cores. Of course, in my mind, I, I think it's a not so subtle conspiracy. Oh no, it's totally officially unofficially. It's the main dude. It's Kevtris who's just dropping it. Yeah, I mean they have to run an end around because otherwise Nintendo will fucking bury them forever. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I don't think there's any fear of their. It's just they don't. They want to be as far away from distribution of software as possible. And I think the implication that you can just run any game off an SD card is a little bit too close to that reality that they're comfortable with. And they're very clear in their marketing that we do not condone the illicit uh, distribution of of you know. But yeah, they're totally in the clear. They don't have. They're not. They're not violating any copyrights or trademarks or anything. Right. Which is, I mean, I don't know how uh, patent law and, and, and I don't know how everything works, but analog basically recreates, um, what do they call it? FPGA technology. I don't know. They recreate the yeah. boards to to play as if they're original hardware. And that's sort of the thing is this isn't for you to emulate on. This is for you to play your games on just through a modern lens with modern sort of uh, amenities, you know, things you would expect from a modern console to a degree. And, and they've always been jailbroken almost immediately to play off of SD cards. But the analog has been out for one of the analog pocket. drop, uh, uh, the pocket, the analog pocket. Um, not quite a, a couple year years yet. ago. Wasn't that twenty twenty one end of twenty twenty one that it dropped? I thought it was end of twenty twenty. Or was it? <laughs> it was a staggered release. I didn't get mine until December last of twenty twenty one. So anyway, uh, eight, 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 nine, ten months is a long time to wait for a jailbreak uh, like this. So right now, it's not fully supported. You can play your games now off the SD card, including Game Boy Advance. It doesn't support uh, a lot of the other features, uh, like the the display options. That's too bad. I really like the display options. Um, I, I do wish they were a little bit more fully featured and a little bit more customizable off the off the get-go. But yeah, I just looked it up. It did come out uh, initially released December 13th, 2021. So damn, it felt like longer. But it was because it was announced in 2019. We we ordered them ages ago. Yeah, I even in the meantime, I got myself another little handheld just so I could run more just ROMs off of off of stuff, and I didn't feel like loading up and actually you know slamming in the EverDrive cart because I was having compatibility compatibility issues just like you were. Yeah. What What did you buy? I got something. Okay, you know what? Hold on, I need to find my analog just to give you context of size. Yes. Well, I've been I've been uh, uh watching YouTube reviews. The handheld market post sort of switch has really been amazing. Every year there's multiple, you know, Chinese company that, Chinese company whatever, pu- putting out, you know, pretty powerful handhelds that will play anything up and, you know, through the Wii U even. It's pretty amazing what's what's out there and affordable. If you want to spend the money for the um the more powerful ones to get stuff to play up to like PlayStation 2 and stuff, but I really only wanted stuff from Maybe PS1 and back. Sure. That's kind of like my cutoff is for like what feels retro to me. So for context, this is the analog pocket. And what I got, I'm sure you've heard of it, EJ, is the Mio Mini, which is wow. much smaller. It's about the size of like a deck of cards. Well, and the screen is not meaningfully smaller. No, it's no, not. No, no, no. And it's a four by three. So you can like play SNES and like that era of games with a one to one pixel ratio. And it looks pretty good. It's got um, L2, R2 on the back oh interesting uh full front array of the four face buttons and d-pad and start select uh yeah but it's pretty nice uh it's got a pretty good battery life the screen is nice and bright 
The only thing I need to do is I need to crack it open and take one of the buttons out and like sand it down. It's a little bit sticky, but it runs PS one games. Like I was, I started Xeno gears on this bad boy. That's crazy. I was playing some Spyro. Like <laughs> it's pretty wow. crazy. I mean, it's not great because the L one, uh, L two sort of the triggers are kind of funky. Like the placement is not ideal, but a lot of those early games did not really utilize those much beyond like camera control. Because it was a weird time. I know, Chris, you are a collector of physical media, as I was and and am to a degree still, but less, um, as I always say, uh, I'm a reformed collector and I'm much more uh, uh, discerning. (laughs) such thing. I just had to be. Now I put all my collector's mentality and energy into collecting vinyl. You know, I have a a sizable LP collection for now. Yeah. and, and, And I take that you know, well, as seriously as any collector takes anything they do. But, you know, the idea of emulation, after I sold most of my collection, I had to get on board with it. I I, I wanted to use original hardware or something like the analog that lets you play original uh, uh, physical media and emulates physical hardware so well that it's, you know, I've used little handhelds. I used to use the PSP to to emulate things and it never, it just never quite felt right. And when you're a Mm -hmm. poor high school kid, you, you get by. But, as options open up to you, I'm always chasing that dragon of, of sort of the ratio of like features, but wanting it to feel the way I remember it feeling. And that is a sort of a unstable concoction because it's not always the same answer. Sometimes booting up a real Game Boy, you say, ah, this doesn't feel like I remember. So it's finding the the middle ground. I'm assuming you don't emulate much. You're, you're, you're pretty strict about how you how you play your business. I mean, I don't emulate at all, truthfully, and it's not like I'm opposed to it. I'm I, I'm really not. As far as I'm concerned, like if you own the physical media and you decide to upload the files of the physical media, you own that you own that piece of plastic and circuit board that contains the physical media. You do it and fuck you out with it, as far as I'm concerned. Um it's like ethically I don't give a fuck. I've just Never had a device that was particularly good at it. Uh, I remember in the high school days, Durheim booting up his PSP and being like, I'm playing Plock on this. <laughs> and it's yeah. running at like 15 <laughs> frames. It ran terribly, but you were still playing fucking Plock on a PSP. And I was like, I got to get one of these. Mom was like, that's illegal. My cousin uh, had modded his Xbox, his original Xbox, to uh, run uh, ROM hacks. She didn't love that either. Uh, and then when I was getting out of high school and did not have that influence anymore, I bought a PS2, which is my first PS2 in 2009. So I missed that whole generation, basically, uh, that Courtney Maka's dad uh, had uh, modded to be able to like top load uh, burnt games. And so yeah. I got this giant folder full of, you know, like CD case just full of burned games. Dude, it was a fucking wasteland. The aughts were weird, man. Looking back at some of these games that I don't have, right? Like when, okay, like like the Persona games. I've wanted to play Persona 3, the PSP port of that is considered the definitive edition, and Persona 4 Golden on the Vita because that's considered the definitive edition. But to buy it on PSP would be like a $200 expense. And I'm like, I'm not, that's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And so then being announced that they're coming to switch was like a huge thing for me. And thinking about things like Xeno gears that I've always wanted to play like this, like progenitor of the Xeno everything series. 
I'm never going to have that. And am I really going to, am I really going to like drag my PlayStation one out of the display shelf to play this? No, like I'm, I'm coming around to it more and more where I'd be like, this would be cool that I could just go. I want to play this game that I've always wanted to play. That's just not accessible and play it. Um, on the other hand, I'm also sort of like, is this just going to be another, another backlog? Cause like I own a whole bunch of like physical media PS2 games that I've wanted to play. And if not like the dot hat games, I own like a third of them at least. And I've never played them and I'm probably never going to play them on physical media at this point. You're a collector. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just saw a video about what a great, uh, uh, and this guy, made it seem like maybe one of the greatest emulation machines ever is the steam deck. And, and already they've got some amazing custom, uh, uh, firmware and operating system. Yeah. Cause it's a computer. <laughs> Your computer can do everything. The steam deck can, but, but the idea that, that, that it is in this handheld form shipped and ready to play games on, it is just mind blowing. I mean, and this thing is more powerful than, you know, a, a switch you know that's not hard to do no well it's not but you <laughs> like womp, imagine womp. a handheld pc game with anti-aliasing nintendo's never heard of anti-aliasing they are pro alias it's not ideal you know it's not and so and, and i want to play the most ideal version of a game i know their pre-orders are open now and it sounds like if you were on the list then you're getting yours by Q4, but it seems like if you pre-order now, you probably would get it by early next year. So if you want to give Steam a $5 loan and then buy a new one. Oh, I did that months ago. you get the, the opportunity. I did it last year. Oh, you did? Yeah, I, I got on the waiting list for the top sort of the top tier version, the $600 one. I haven't got an invite to order mine yet. You can check. There's there's websites you can go to where you put in your like uh, confirmation number and they crunch the numbers and they tell you when you're... Uh, bound to be getting it or if you already missed it if it went to spam and you just completely missed it and you just don't have the opportunity anymore. oh i definitely didn't miss it i i checked steam like a month ago to see um i'm actually pulling it up right now because i want to know i think because it's the higher end one with like different glass and some of the extra i don't think that matters i don't think that changes anything let's see steam deck featured recommended cancel reservation my expected order availability july to september q3 2022 i reserved Monday. July 26, 2021. So it looks like the other two options, the availability is expected December. Mine's expected Q3. So we'll see um, if I ever get my invite, but I'm going to order one and I'm going to mess with it and I'll definitely turn it into an emulation machine. And we'll see. I don't know. It, it, it's something that five years ago, a little alone 10 years ago, I never thought I'd be sitting here like mostly going to, towards emulation but I'm like you, Chris. You know, I played Pokemon Fire Red Rocket Edition, and halfway through the game, I was like, I love this. The first thing I did is I got an Etsy, and I was like, can I buy this physically so I can print out a fucking cover and put it in a goddamn case and put it on my shelf with all the things I've kept? Hopefully, if you do that, you, like, send some PayPal money to the actual creators and not to some weirdo in Canada that's just bought a bunch of ROM boards and is just dumping games that people like onto them. Listen, I would, I would pay the developer for this game because... Think of all the money I've given in uh, a Pokemon company and Game Freak for just developing chaff over and over and over. I got some real enjoyment out of this other game. I would love to pay the guy. As far as I can tell, he's not working on anything else. I was like, dude, they set up a sequel. I was like, dude, give me a fucking 
Gen 2 sequel, but that's a lot more work because you'd have to build all the assets. Yeah, if you try to do it in engine for that that same game engine, that Gen 3 engine, then you'd probably, yeah, you'd be... It's a lot more work. A little more difficult. Yeah, a little bit, a lot more work. So, okay, so back to that game again. They didn't have any added Pokemon. Just all OG. Uh, uh, um, Gen 2 Pokemon, I believe, like I evolved my Eevee into an Umbreon using like a some stone, a moonstone, I think. Right. So things like that, right. like I think Gen 2 Pokemon were available, but no, no. Is that breeding? Um, I don't think so. I don't think it was breeding. That's totally like in the weeds. I don't I don't really care at this point. I was just sort of poking. Yeah, that's really cool. I Hopefully they have a way to like be supported. Like if they have a PayPal, you should send them a couple bucks before buying a physical copy of something that probably doesn't benefit them at all. I'm going to put this out there now for the 12 people who are going to listen to this. Credits. Oh, wow. There's quite a team involved here. A couple of art guys, a lot of different beta testers. Uh, it was developed by a guy named Colonel Salt. Uh, yep. his, uh, 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 I don't know. It looks Scandinavian by the the name that I can't pronounce. Develop some interesting things. I don't see a place to donate anywhere. I imagine that's sort of part of the deal when you're doing fan yeah. games like this, which is unfortunate. But that's them's the breaks with these billion dollar fucking companies. I like this promotional uh, poster they have. It's very. Uh, it's like Ken Sugimori almost with like real lines instead of like the the actual full-blown watercolor it's pretty cute you should put that in the discord i would like to see that i would also like to see that i found on etsy a uh a 20 cart that is the version 1.0.2 which matches the current version number on the website i'm going to track down to see if there's a way to support uh colonel salt and his dev team and thanks for bringing that up because we you know when you're you're going down the the well uh, of rom hacks you don't think about that you know, I said, oh, it took him seven years or whatever to develop this game to completion. That's an insane amount of work for for a very small team and one guy programming the entire thing. Yeah, with like art contributions from like five to six other people, including music and sprites and stuff. Turns out video games, a lot of work. Who knew? See, the next step is just to play a bunch of fucking ROM hacks and then finding a way to uh, legitimize my Pokemon so I can transfer them into Pokemon Home without getting banned. It's interesting because I feel like ROM hacks have been around for a long, long time. And I think a lot of that energy is still alive in modern games with mods and PC mods. Totally. And it's really hard. It's like impossible to do legit on a console. So that's another cool thing about the Steam Deck and just PC stuff in general is the ability to tinker with the game itself and to do add-ons. Like you guys played KOTOR on PC with a bunch of mods, I would assume, like just getting the game to run is a mod in itself because it was made for what Windows XP back in the day. So there's got to be a bunch of compatibility issues and getting a controller to work like you were talking about, Chris. And something I've been a little bit interested in is there's a mod recently. Well, I don't know how recent it was in the last few months because the game came out this year. But for Elden Ring, there is a multiplayer mod that sort of streamlines that uh, experience where if you die, there's like a resurrection sort of mechanic added in. I mean, it kicks you off the server. You're not playing online anymore. You're not don't have any risk of invasion. So that's another benefit because EJ, I know when you and I were playing Dark Souls 3, like it's part of the game. You didn't like that part of the game. No. That's understandable. <laughs> I, I like the tension of if you're playing with someone else, you're playing easy mode. So there has to be an added tension of, okay, now that you're playing with someone else, you should be able to handle someone invading your game and trying to kick their ass and yeah. them trying to kick your ass and there being 
covenants and sort of in-game lore of so you're in this forest and i'm serving this god of this forest this weird wolf guy that's a corpse but is also a god that we're defending this forest from people like you who are invading you are not welcome here so that part is cool but Elden ring there's a mod to do co-op and actually play through the game with someone else and i wonder if that would be something that you ej would be interested in checking out with me sometime if you feel like spending the money on a new game and maybe not working out necessarily to your full uh, enjoyment but i know we had a good time with dark souls 3 and i really like the concessions they made in elden ring as far as allowing you to do more as a player character like even adding a jump button it's such a small thing but it really gives you more control over where you are and that was built into the challenge of the old games where you have these falling puzzles where it's about traversal but you can't fall too far because you'll just fucking die. And that's the challenge. But having uh, more of it being a traversal mechanic as opposed to a uh, thing to overcome, like a, I don't know, I, there's not really a good analog to it. It's almost like an Ocarina of Time where you have Hell your Zelda. jump where you jump off of ledge. You know, I mean, yeah, Dark Souls is totally, it's just Zelda but hard. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why Chris needs to play these games because they're fantastic and he would get <laughs> obsessed with them. Chris is, Chris is going to love them. After getting a, a a feel for his his tastes, uh, it's just a steep mountain to climb. Dark Souls. People blow the difficulty out of proportion. It's just it asks something of you, and it doesn't accept the wrong answer. I love that. I mean, I I speaking of things we're playing recently on the like five hour flight from Seattle to Raleigh yesterday, I did the entire Cuphead DLC. And I love I love that game. It's like one of my favorite games ever because of the fact that every time you lose, you know, it's your fault and you know why it's your fault. Uh, I feel like that's that's comparable, although stop me if I'm wrong. Hey, as soon as I have a PS5, Elden Ring's like the first game I'm buying besides Final Fantasy VII. I'll, I'll buy the remake Intergrade uh, to do a replay of that before the next chapters uh, come out. Uh, but Elden Ring like I'm literally just waiting till I can play it on the most powerful home console hardware available, which is fair. I might prefer the uh, the way the world is built in a Dark Souls over Elden Ring. I don't think the open world aspect added much to my experience, but I'm also not one who's struggled with the linear, the linearity of the prior games. So for me, the parts I love the most in Elden Ring were the castles, and I think they call them legacy dungeons technically where it was like, this is a totally bespoke sort of dungeon that is like an original Dark Souls or Bloodborne or whatever, Demon Souls sort of area where it's winding in on itself. You're finding shortcuts. And this the design, the pure design of it is just so satisfying. I love that shit beyond any other. It's beautiful. Love it to death. Enemy designs, 10 out of 10. Elden Ring is a great game. I, I, I think about it. And I miss it, but I don't want to go back to it. Not just for not time. just for shits and giggles, because I spent a lot of time in that game. It's a big game, and I don't. It's tough, especially with a uh, more open sort of uh, game, because it is truly pretty open, and there are a few like gates where your progression locked, but uh, you have the freedom to go wherever you want. And I think a game like that is hard to revisit because you don't want to. I don't know if I would want to do what I did before. I feel like I would sort of fall back on that pretty, pretty quickly. And I think that would cheapen the experience of 
the freedom of doing anything you want because I'd be constantly influenced by what I already I had already done. So I think for replaying, I love I've played through Dark Souls 3 many times in like the New Game Plus. I think I'm on New Game Plus like five or six oh on PC. <laughs> I put in a couple hundred hours in that game. Like I love that game. It's fabulous. And I have a great time going through it like every time. It's like I don't replay as many games anymore, but those games are I feel are more comfortable in a replay and I take enjoyment out of that. But Elden Ring, I don't know if I could go back to. I feel like I think I've had trouble. I think I've tried restarting Breath of the Wild a couple times, and I don't think I can replay that game. Maybe not for a long time. Totally. But I've replayed Ocarina of Time. I've started Ocarina of Time even like recently where I'm in Jabu Jabu's belly, and it's just like, yeah, this is my childhood. This is a great thing to revisit. It's like re-watching a movie, but in an, a more open sort of experience. I don't know if I could experience it. It wouldn't be the same thing, and I don't... It's just something that I'm sort of like struggling with emotionally <laughs> as I look at it. But I think if I was going with EJ, it'd be different because... I would want him to say, let's go over there. And then I would go with him. And then I'd be like, it'd be like I was playing the game for the first time again. And that's what I think is really appealing in a multiplayer sort of way of approaching that. And you, EJ, you're even talking about when you're talking about Call of Duty is that you have a tough time finding the motivation to progress in a video game if you don't have that sort of checkbox or that that list. So Pokemon is a very uh, comfortable game series for you because it is all about the collecting for you. It's never been that way for me. For me, it's it's a JRPG, and I like JRPGs. I like the Mario RPGs got me into them. Pokemon got me into them, and then I've played many throughout my years since then. But for you, it's more of a checkbox thing. But multiplayer, you have that you're hanging out with somebody, and you're just going and doing a thing, and you get that enjoyment of hanging out with someone at the same time. That's why I bring this up because I want to I want to play that game with you because I I saw you were enjoying Dark Souls three playing with me. It's just that they had some of the rough edges of the things that you don't like, but the things that I do like where you're being invaded and it's just like a pain in the ass getting kicked the nuts over and over by those damn dudes at the trees just stud locking you to death in that forest swamp. It was as soon as we got to the the point where I had to go off catacombs. solo. Yeah, I just was like, I, I'm like, dude, I suck at games. This is hard. It's scary. I don't like doing it alone. It, you know, it's just not about like, but but yeah, trying to figure out the boss not only like having somebody uh, uh, with me who I enjoy spending time with, but also like the security blanket of like, I can suck and derive enough enjoyment of trying to figure it out without the head bashing frustration that makes me not want to play games that makes other people want to play these games, you know? And I recognize that, but I liked exploring and, and you know, you would sometimes I would need you to hold my hand, but sometimes you were like, we're going to fucking explore. You're going to see what you find. And I was like, all right. Uh, you're going to fucking tutor. You're like, I'm going to hold your hand, but I'm not going to do it for you. <laughs> you know? Hey, you like the bosses. You admitted that yourself, that you found the most fun in fighting the bosses because it's like a known quantity. It doesn't change too much between fights. Right, right. Your struggle was just getting back to the boss and the annoyance that that is. So I talked to my brother, Andrew, about this like days ago when we were on vacation. That's the first new game that he has played really that isn't multiplayer since Skyrim like maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration but I can't remember the last time he played a, a game solo and he went way down the Elden Ring rabbit hole and he's on a new game plus and and I, I was shocked I was like there's no way you're gonna like this fucking game I can't get him to literally play anything I recommend him 12 games a year and he's like yeah maybe and he 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 got caught up in the hive of Elden Ring and what he told me and this sort of changed my perspective on it 
he said, Dark Souls never interested him because it's linear. And I said, well, my problem with Dark Souls was I thought I was it was too open. There are too many places to get lost. I just get me to the fucking boss fights. That's what's fun about it. And he said the boss fights were a part of it, but for him, it was the sense of discovery that he hasn't had since Skyrim 10 years ago. And and so for some people, like you, you're not so into the open world thing, but for some people, that's what sold them on this game, which surprises me because I like a good open world. I like knowing what I'm supposed to do, but but let me just kind of explore and and the gratification of learning things as you go versus dumping you and not telling you anything I don't like. Holding my hand every step of the way like Pokemon, I don't like. There's a middle ground that sort of the third-person action-adventure RPG honed in in the last 10 years since Skyrim and existed beforehand. But Skyrim was sort of was the explosion of that formula. And after Skyrim, every game was like, you know, and when you say, oh, I wouldn't have fun again playing Elden Ring or, or Breath of the Wild, I totally agree. And I've said that before. I don't think I'll ever replay that game. It's because the enjoyment of the game is almost entirely tied to that sense of discovery, which is not a great formula on its own. And that was one of my big problems with Zelda, as we've talked about, is there just wasn't enough there for me. And when that is sort of the core driving experience, it's just, yeah, there's not a lot of re- replayability. And not all games need to have replayability. You know, they don't. People want it. It's not a requirement for me. Post-game content is not a requirement. It's like, give me a really good game A to Z, and that's what I care about. Right. But that over 100 hours, that gets a little fucking trite. You know, it's just like the same thing over and over. So that's when when that's the whole, you know, crux of, of, of what makes your game interesting to play i think that's a a big problem and that's you know when i complained a little bit earlier about all these developers are going to see ooh, make a really difficult open world game and we're you know i think they're missing the point of what fromsoft does so well and the attention to detail and the the variety with which you can attack those games there's so much variety and there's so much uh viability and and a number of different play styles and builds and like the, the attention to detail like i respect the shit out of that developer. And all of these these try hard clones are going to come through over the next 6-7 years and putting out awful games and a couple of beloved franchises I'm sure are going to or have seen Elden Ring and 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 next thing you know we're going to be getting a fucking, you know, Metroid uh uh Elden Ring wannabe. That's not what makes Metroid cool. That's not what made Elden Ring cool. Thanks for ruining my game, you know. That's funny that you chose Metroid, a series that you have no connection to just to just to pique Chris and my interest. <laughs> Listen, I'm trying here, buds. I'm trying here. No, honestly, I think <laughs> the funny thing is that I think Bethesda is probably the most uh, apt to take the wrong lessons from Elden Ring. Maybe them or Ubisoft. They're the ones Ubisoft, that are going to yes. maybe shoot themselves in the foot. But I mean, I think iteration and looking around at the industry is is a net benefit. I think if people try things, then by like try things i i think games should never just stick to a formula and just rest on their laurels i think if they take lessons from from software i think it can only be good lessons because they're the things that that are different and they've seen great success from it in elden ring it's been this like sleeping giant like dark souls has been a video game developer's video game or like just a hardcore gamer's video game for the past uh over 10 years and now elden ring is poised to be the best-selling video game in the world for the year 2022 like it's pretty amazing how crazy is that 
again, it's understanding why, because it's not just the difficulty. It's not the open world. Those are two things that don't make Elden Ring a good game. That's what a company like Ubisoft will see. They're like, let's make the next Far Cry like absurdly difficult. It's not just about pushing the numbers higher. That's not what makes Elden Ring hard, right? The difficulty comes from intricate and well-planned fucking game design. Every encounter, it's not just, okay, this enemy is going to hit three times harder than you, and we're going to turn your health down here based on what difficulty you chose. Like That's sort of the easy mode way a developer deals with that. That is what I'm afraid is going to happen to the games that I do like to play. And God forbid that fucking happens. Not that even if they did it right, I don't want an Elden Ring game. I want an Elder Scrolls game, which is very different. Or, or, or whatever, right? Fill in the blank. I think there are moments where developers can look around and like, look at what God of War did. How God of War reinvented themselves by taking pieces of what the industry was doing, but understanding why those franchises were successful and taking it all and making something really fucking great. I think God of, God of War still stumbled, though. I don't think God of War was a flawless execution of the things that it was looking around and emulating. I don't think God of War needed to have a skill tree. I don't think God of War needed had needed to have gear. <laughs> like there's things that they, oh, I don't they learned that and that all. they succeeded with. And they had great like the storytelling and just the 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 concept of the one shot is fabulous and had great combat. It felt tight to play. It was a fantastic game, but it was not without flaws. And certainly Elden Ring has flaws. And if someone made an Elden Ring sort of style game and improved upon it and more people liked it because of that, then that's awesome. I mean, we've seen Souls inspired games that even you like, like Jedi Fallen Order is very much a Souls game, but with the edges filed off. And they even copied the map for Metroid Prime, which they didn't do a very good job at. That's because Metroid Prime's map isn't that great in hindsight, but you know, maybe we'll get, we'll cross that bridge once uh Metro prime four comes out and they try to, you know, bring that into the modern era. Why do the elevators go up and down in prime one? I'm just like, what, what, what the <sighs> yeah, fuck? Dude, the this, depth, what the <laughs> sense of depth and scale. You don't know where you are. No, yeah, not at all. It's and goofy. also the whole entire map is a rendering of the actual world. So when you emulate that game, it's an, it hits slow down when you open the map screen. Anyway, <laughs> if we get a Metroid inspired by Elden Ring, then we're getting Elden Ring. Okay, so Elden Ring is inspired by Zelda and Shadow of the Colossus. So we're getting Metroid, which is inspired by Zelda initially in the first place. It's like, okay, what if we made Zelda but 2D and in space? Great. And now we got Elden Ring, which is inspired. It's 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 cyclical. Everyone's inspired by everyone. It's all just like, hey, we like that thing over there. Let's try that. And then you do it, and you you do it good, or you do it bad, and then you make a sequel, and you do it better, or you make it worse. You know, it's just that's just the way creativity works. Nobody's actually created anything a whole cloth. No one no one wakes up without seeing anything in the world and says, "I'm going to make a video game," and they make a video game, and it's good. That's not how that works. <laughs> you make a video game because you play video games. That's fair. Right. I, I don't think that this concern that, oh, the industry is just going to start copying Elden Ring is a new problem. Like, we have a whole genre called Souls-likes now that grew out of Dark Souls and its legacy, which is, like, largely Metroidvania. Games, <laughs> games badly doing, exactly as you said, EJ, badly doing what they thought made those games good, uh, which is not accurate. But, like Nick said, for every... For every like three to six of these really bad ideas of, oh, it just needs to be harder. Oh, it just needs to be more open world. Oh, you know, whatever. You're going to have the one that gets it and does iterate on it. Um, so basically, if you want to make an omelet, you know what I mean? Like you got to make a bunch of shitty Elden Ring clones. <laughs> 
to to create a malapropism. <laughs> I love that old turn of phrase. <laughs> I guess I wouldn't be so worried about it if I wasn't a, like a like primarily a Nintendo fan at this point in my life. Like the only things that I pay attention to really is Nintendo stuff, and there there are, there are things on the fringes that I care about, but like. Nintendo is the most likely to be guilty uh, of of trying to do things they don't understand and failing, and and again I hate to just beat the dead horse that is Breath of the Wild, but like to me that was it was such a flawed experience because of what they tried to ape from other more modern games that like you know have figured out how to do these things, and again because it's Nintendo it's like oh my god it's just. It's like Arceus. Oh my God, this is so, this is the next generation. It's like okay, 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 okay. All right, don't don't put these games in your mouth at the same time. Like no, keep 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 Zelda out of your mouth if you're going to talk about Arceus. That's all I'm saying. And like furthermore, I, I'm like, I, oh God, you're baiting me into the <laughs> fucking Breath of the Wild argument again. But I will not have this slander. The loneliness was part of the fucking experience. It was part of the experience. If there were things around every goddamn corner to be like, oh, that's from this and oh, that's from that. It fundamentally would be antithetical to the whole point of the game. That's not what I'm saying I wanted. But it is, though, because you're saying for you, there wasn't enough stuff and it was just wandering around for wandering's sake. And you felt like that it was like badly emulating other other games that were already doing really similar things. Not that you've ever named a single one of them that it's cribbed anything from. Like, I, I, I almost can't even respond to that. But the isolation and the loneliness is part of it. And there's there's Zelda nuggets in every fucking corner of that map. That wasn't my beef with it. My beef was the... Um, and this is why I disagree with Nick with, when you say that like God of War didn't need uh, a, a gear system and a skill tree. For me, that's that's what makes me invested mechanically in a game like yeah okay the story is like really what kept me there and there are points where i only really care I'm like let me just go watch a cutscene on youtube because i i want to know how the story plays out but the exploration of a super linear world and it was pretty linear with the hub world but it was every area you go is pretty linear i'm like this is not interesting to me it was being able to customize my gear and find a build that i liked and choose like my play style that like kept me just invested enough to finally finish it that third time. And I'm glad I did because I had such a good time with it when I got over that hump and I could see how like, okay, a skill tree could be a little less obtuse. The gear system, there's a way to do it where like what you invest could be more meaningful. There's sort of an element of like, it's like the breath of the wild, like the wet, the weapon turnover. It's like, okay, I'm getting new gear. It's like, I'm playing fucking Diablo. I, I want a little more investment in, in the stuff that I grind out and collect. To me, that was necessary. And that's what I wanted in something like a breath of the wild. And I don't think that would have taken away from what they did with the, with the world. Cause I thought, you know, I had a great time exploring the world, but, but, but a little more nuance in some of those mechanics that, to keep me engaged and not just like, all right, we're going to climb another mountain, jump off. And that's the reason for playing this game. You know, it's like, I want a little bit more with regards to God of war too. I think that the movement from Kratos attacks the way that Kratos attacks to a skill tree and gear is narratively resonant with his evolution as a character from a berserker into someone who's a more nuanced human being. So like, if we really want to get into the weeds on, is this just video game stuff for the sake of video game stuff? Or does it make sense with the story they're telling? I would definitely make the argument. It makes sense with the story they're telling. Well, that's what's so funny about these games that are developed 
for the largest possible audience. And there are people who want the RPG elements, right? And that's why it's funny, like talking to like my girlfriend's brother, who is a huge Assassin's Creed fan, but fell off when they started introducing all those RPG elements because that's not what he wants in Assassin's Creed game. But a game like God of War, where it's like you have the people who want to explore, you have the people who just want the story, and you want the people who want to go off on this RPG-like adventure and have a bunch of autonomy over how they sort of create the narrative around this character. Yeah, where's my dialogue options? Where's my morality mechanic? God, what what kind of god is this? It's a can of worms, <laughs> man. Right. And my my point with like the whole skill tree thing, I mean, it's just a it's a dead horse that I like to beat, but not every game needs to have that sort of level of progression and it was and sure it can make sense to be like, yeah, this is a uh, a uh, Kratos leveling up his relationship with his son but that's also kind of weird being like okay we're gamifying (laughs) this dude's love of his child and now because he loves his kid more and like almost pat him on the back now he can he can shoot those wolves better (laughs) but for me it was more just like it was it was stupid that you got different armor as kratos like that was that was i just didn't like that mechanically it just didn't satisfy me it was cool when you got different summons and you had like the 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 eagles or whatever i don't remember what loadout i used as fucking kratos is like okay i'm either using the the axe or i'm using the blades of chaos and that was cool as someone who's not invested in this character i've never really i've never played any of the god of war games before i just know him as a playstation mascot and i played this game and it was a good zelda game and that's sort of like the vibe i got from it sure that was my takeaway you gotta get right here in your heart before you can get right here (laughs) in your muscles that's all i'm saying i remember when kratos told that story to atreus on the boat we always come down to the same three damn games don't we but influential to say the least talk about their goodness all you want but their greatness uh speaks for themselves god of war 2 is supposed to come out this year i drafted it i drafted it i don't know they keep saying it's coming out but it feels like uh as we get closer any any thursday random thursday uh we're gonna push this back it's the game's done the game's done. Unless unless you dropped something before that that was second pick for you wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, what a what a reversal that would be if your number one pick last year becomes my number one pick and I get a fuckload of points off of it. And then one of my major picks last year becomes a major pick for you and it still doesn't come out. That'd be fucking hilarious. Yeah, that would be really shitty. I mean, and listen, I'm one point behind you with three more spots than you. One point behind, but one more release. I had a couple of duds in in, in, the, in, in my pickups. Um, but Chris... I just need to get this off my chest. There was a while there where I was like, you take Elden Ring, the the give me, the the absolute give me uh, off your board, and we're worried about you, buddy. We're worried about what's going on over there with the Choso Bozos. They've been bad. They have been really, really bad. Um, Old Republic DLC, brother. I swear to God that I had read some stuff that it was like, it was at a high water mark for this. Not that expansion specifically, but like the recent ones had been like really good. People were reinvigorated. Like that's what I was reading. I don't know where the fuck I read it, but clearly it was a bum tip. That was bad. Nintendo Switch Sports fucking pisses me off, and I haven't gotten enough into the reviews to really think about it. But I think, frankly, like sports games, unless they're fucking car games, are not going to review well. Like they're just no. not. That's the fun of the meta is you're not you're not betting on the game. You're betting on what people's reaction to the game will be. But like yeah. Mario Strikers, I wanted to draft that. I mean, that was a three point game. Boondoggle on my part. That's my only 70 point game. Yeah. Chris has a seven, a two, a negative eight, a one. I have a 
Well, I picked up an 11, but I picked up an 8, a 2, a 5. Like, you know, and I picked up another 11. I, I didn't do terribly, but like I had three like dud pickups for the most part, all in the 70s, mixed with um, Dying Light, one of my main pickups, absolutely fucking tanking with a 6. I'm just in a bad spot here, but Nick, you, I mean, you're just cleaning up, dude. All above 85. I'm feeling pretty good. My main problem is that two of my games that were drafted actually got counterpicked. I don't know if they got countered in the draft. I think, I think Chris might've, or you might've counterpicked Redfall in the draft itself. Correct. But then stalker two, that's a bullet in my heart. They're a Ukrainian dev and they are not getting that game out this year. Yep. So I got two just like no shows and that's, that's going to be rough on me. EJ, you're in a similar position where you had two games that are just risk of rain two, unless it gets its DLC out on switch, it's not going to get enough reviews for that expansion and that's like rough because if you look at okay so every single time that we've done this uh what is it um dead cells gets an expansion and it gets enough reviews to be like 90 something on metacritic or an open critic and it's hilarious it's such a funny meta game of the meta game is yep. seeing what expansion will actually get enough reviews to get points but yeah i mean it's a it's a battlefield out there i drafted or i picked up microsoft flight simulator top gun maverick and i'm thinking to myself those flight sim freaks are so horny for that game. They so are. And this this game had mainstream success. It scored in the 90s. Extremely valuable property. Top Gun. I didn't expect it to be the fucking success that it was. I mean, talk about unexpected. But like, I figured this seems like a safe bet. There will yeah, be enough PC dorks that this should have gotten five reviews. Free DLC for a beloved game. People have been waiting fucking for content for it. It's the risk of rain that really I just I can't believe that 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 I got borked on that because that seems like a like an eighty five to eighty seven probably, um, and I think I picked it up for like seven bucks. It just feels like that should have been the absolute value play. The way that like nobody saves the world eleven points. I think I bid three bucks on it or whatever. Both those are ones that I <laughs> I fucking bid on, and then you either outbid me. Or they gave it to you because you had less points than me. Yeah, that was a very weird. They gave system. you risk of rain. We matched the bid, but they gave it to you because you had less points. That's projected. very bizarre. That is weird. Let's just uh, let's tell the people where we're sitting right now. In first place, oh, Christ. with hundred and thirty-seven points on. Hang on, on ten released games is Nick Preshtil Dev. Uh, in Oof. second place with eighty-nine points on 10 released games same number of released games is me the chozo bozos and in uh, a distant third at uh, 87 points with 11 <laughs> with 11 <laughs> released games is ej jiggle softworks this is a this is a race for second place my friends nick is up 50 50 fucking points on us like this 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 league is over this league is over the belt that we're gonna buy which we haven't bought yet and we need to buy uh is gonna go. It's gonna go to, to to you first, EJ. You're gonna enjoy it for a few precious months, and then it's gonna preciously <laughs> go over to Presh till Dev, because Nick is kicking our fucking asses. We need to figure out the belt situation before the end of this league, so that I can enjoy it until the end, and then I can personally hand it off to to Nick yes, or whoever wins. Necessary. Whoever wins the league, yeah, who whoever it is with a fifty fucking point advantage. Could be any, but it's anyone's. Hey, lead. I'm the only one who's going to lose points on my counter picks. I mean, EJ got a great counter pick on you, Chris, with Stranger of Paradise, which was your first pickup after the draft. Which is I paid a dollar pickup. for it. One dollar. 
But I mean, I'm not losing points on Senua's Saga. I'm going to lose five to 10 points on Saints Row. Um, I might lose a couple points on Digimon Survive. Chris, you've got some risky counter picks. I'll, I'll say that right now. Uh, Hogwarts uh, EJ's Legacy. EJ's got pretty good counter picks. I still don't. That's game's not coming out this year. Uh, yeah, see, that's the thing is Hogwarts might come out, but it might not. I don't think Advance Wars. I don't think Advance Wars is coming out either. Like, this is not going to be a short war. No, the leak, the leak said uh, spring. I mean, the game's practically done, but, but the leak said it, it looked like spring next year. So, uh, sadly, thanks, Putin, for losing me my seven points on uh, uh, Advance Wars Remake. And River City Girls, I think the first game was like mid-70s on Open Critic. So that was a defensive pick. It was like, I need to pick something I'll lose minimal points on. This looks like something I'm going to lose minimal points on. Certainly. I understand that. I understand that well. I mean, I counterpicked Ghostwire because I just had to pick something and I, I just didn't think the game looked very good. But it's tough on that first initial draft to counterpick something that's like what you feel like is a safe pick because your safest picks are the ones that you think are going to get delayed. But in January, you don't really have a good idea on that. Right. I'm pissed that Digimon Survive ended up being so much a visual novel because it was billed as a strategy RPG and it definitely became a visual novel with light strategy RPG elements. What I don't understand is how you didn't already have your finger on the pulse of this game. Isn't this the game that's been out and this was just the it's brand fucking new. Our league rules is that we can't put out, uh, we can't bid on games that are like localizations or ports. I swear to God, this was the game that has been out in Japan. I think the last Digimon game was the cyber sleuth series. And yes. I think those were like Vita games. Like, Eight or nine years ago, which those were actually pretty good. The hackers, hackers' memory was actually a pretty good uh, continuation of that story. The first game was kind of like a weak um, Atlas RPG kind of kind of vibe. It kind of gave me SMT vibes. Well, that's what I thought this was gonna be, an honest to god fucking RPG. No, this was always like a weird survival game mixed with a visual novel, mixed with like a strategy RPG, and definitely like in that uh, sort of order of operations. Also, bad news, they did not give review copies out early, so that's why you don't have a review score yet, is because they held off on giving press the game, because who knows? Maybe there's a, maybe there's a bad game in there. That's getting review bombed on, on Metacritic. Oh, well, who gives a shit about the, the, the users? It's more about the, you know, the real people who get paid for their reviews. That's the, that's the meta. That's true. That's true. It's just funny, though. I thought this game it was it was like this was the international release and that we already like knew what what to expect from this game. Um, but in any event, here's some notable statistics. We all have ten games released except for me. I have eleven, and you're two points behind with one more game. Mind you, the games I'm expecting this year is God of War Ragnarok, a likely ninety, Mario Rabbids, easy eighty five, Splatoon three, an easy eighty five, Hogwarts Legacy. That's sort of the flyer. Um, so this could easily turn around in my favor with three slots and the most money available to spend moving forward. You have one spot left, Chris, only a point ahead of me. We're expecting the same number of games. You know, I'm expecting six games. You're expecting eight. Okay. Nick's expecting five, but Nick and I each have three slots available to, uh, pick up more games Depending on if Nintendo, you know, what does Nintendo do? Uh, do we have any more surprise? You know, do we have like an end of summer sort of surprise uh, thing from Sony? Like, there's still a little bit of wiggle room here. You know, Nick could lose some points on his on his counter picks. You know, it, it, this may very well be a race for a second. However, we said the same thing last year, and I think I beat Nick by a point. So, 
I'm going to hold out hope. I'm still going to be checking the waiver wire. I just added to my watch list like three days ago. Keeping my eye on some, on some, uh, you know, uh, the counter picks, man, for this year. That's that's a lot. That can be that can be make or break. That that was my point swing. Easily was one counter pick game. Yep, would have put me over EJ. Hang on, let me set the record straight. First of all, I have two slots. I have two slots available. Uh, second, even if I only had one slot, you have three slots to fill with sixty one dollars, which means you cannot afford to spend what I can spend on any one given game. Because you've got to fill out, like, what, almost one-sixth of your available slots still? Like, this late in the year? You're in danger territory, my friend. You can't, you can't spend 55 bucks on one game. And I can't. It's okay. I'll let you, I'll let you spend, you know, your $90 on, on the older public, and I'll keep playing the game. No, EJ, you have more money than Chris does. I know. He has to buy more games with it. Because you know I'm spending yeah, all it's just, 55 It's very bucks. interesting, this late in the game, because... because EJ still has three drops. Chris, you only have one drop left. I have two drops left. But I can't really drop anything. And that means also we can drop counterpicks too, as long as they're unreleased. Oh, interesting. Like I can't drop Advance Wars or Senua Saga because they're counterpicked. And all the games that I still have, I wouldn't drop anyway. Exactly. So your drops are not you're not valuable. Yeah, your drops are, are not valuable. Unless you want to drop Hogwarts Legacy. Oh, wait. Uh, you can't. Nope, it's counterpicked. <laughs> really? You have no good drops. No. You have no good drops. No, I'm sorry. I don't have any drops. Unless you want to drop a counterpick on Return to Monkey Island, which would likely score pretty well. That game's not coming out this year, so I'm not worried about it. Just saying. There's strategy afoot. <laughs> it really is going to come down to, I'm not even going to name what's on my watch list right now. Well, no. Why would you? That's silly. There's a couple of deep cuts that I, I've got my finger on the pulse of what the uh, 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 indie community may or may not be interested in. They also might not come out for two more years. So, Dude, that's the heavy risk with indie games. Like You think it's risky with AAA games getting development held. The Silk Song, bro. I don't see how we beat Nick here unless God of War like scores a 98. Even if it does. How many, how many points is If it gets a 98, what is that? It's two points for every point over 90. 36. <laughs> It'd be a lot of points. Elden Ring got you, what, 31? Yeah, you're right. So it'd be 36. It's rough. I got hose on Dying Light. I got hose on Advance Wars getting pushed. Risk of Rain not having the DLC drop on the Switch at day and date with the PC version. Ridiculous. Microsoft Light Sim, I'm not even mad about. It's just like, whatever. It's one of those things where it's like, it happens. I was shocked at Salt and Sacrifice and Memoir Blue both tanking the way they did after reading all the early impressions, watching the, you know, I don't know if they're betas or demos or or like a showcase from I, I can't remember what I watched, but like I was really confident that those were 80s. And a memoir blue was like a 79 until Dickhead Alex from Nintendo Life came over and gave it like the lone bad review and it fucking cut the average down because there were so few reviews. And I was like, at least it gave me nine points, and now it's a a, a two for it's just you know, that's the game though. <laughs> More bad reviews rolled in. It's oh, got 30 it. reviews. It's not the one four that it got that totally dragged it down. A lot of sevens and sixes. Unfortunate. Well, we'll see. Like I said, God of War could really pull me back into the race. Yeah, that's an, e- that's an easy, like, low to mid 90s. Like, it's going to happen as long as it comes out. Anything less than a 90 feels like a really big miss from those guys. I mean, that's that's how good God of War was, right? Yeah, they set that up for themselves, but that also raises expectations. So that can be a double edged sword or a double edged axe. I was shocked at how well Shredder's Revenge did. Have you played it? Yeah, I did. I played it, uh, co-opted it with Brennan. Why are we not co-oping? It's a fucking joy. We were playing on PC and you probably are playing on Switch. Isn't there cross-play? Yes. Oh. Or is there not like party up cross-play? Oh. 
Well, maybe I'd be down to do a little run. It's it's turtles in time. It's the turtles arcade game. It's everything you want. It's an enjoyable little romp in 2022. I'm shocked it did as well as it did. But it's good. I mean, if it's good, it's good. It it does what turtles in time did without the jank of turtles in time and a bunch of quality of life improvements. It's hard, but it's not dick in a blender hard. And like doing story mode where you can just res people if you can get there fast enough which is not guaranteed it's great it's smart i mean it, it, every side-scrolling beat-em-up should have this because no one wants to like thumb metaphorical quarters into the machine again like we're not doing arcade ports anymore totally the physical edition is not out yet is it i don't think That's so a, is that a limited run thing it might be i'm not out. sure i get that mixed up with the cowabunga collection and what right. is a uh, limited run what's not yeah the cowabunga collection is going to be interesting i have a lot of nostalgia for the nes uh, was it the first one? There was like three or four Turtles games on the NES, but um, I think three, unless you count the fighting game, because there was a weird fighting game port to the NES. There was, one there, was too. there was Tournament Fighters, which which I think you can get on SNES, NES, and Genesis. Yeah, so yeah, I, I have a lot of nostalgia for that. It's a very notoriously hard game. Although my love for Donatello came from that game because he was the only character you could even hope to beat the game with. <laughs> the bow staff guy. Yeah. So good news for you, EJ. You can uh pre-order the uh you pre-order the shredder's revenge physical on amazon it is distributed through limited run i believe so it is not out until september but i mean that's a quicker turnaround than you know the year and a half that i've waited for my last order that i went through them what did you order um i picked up uh one step from eden which is sort of like a indie game inspired by the Mega Man battle network battle system and then i got axiom verge 2 and then i picked up hyperlight drifter because i wanted a physical copy of that and I could have got that from like Fangamer or IM8 Bit or whichever one was selling it, but I wanted to just lump it all together because I was already paying for shipping from Limited Run. So I just got a bunch of stuff all at once. But yeah, it's been a long wait time. Well, that's the problem with pre ordering directly from them because they put it up sort of at the game's inception to gauge interest. Well, by the time they hit Amazon, it's like production is locked in. So you're not waiting that long. Yeah. I also got uh, Iconfell, which is a Witch Wizard RPG. Thing, cool strategy RPG. Have you played these games or is this just sort of the uh, collector's temptation? I played Axiom Verge 1 and I liked it a lot so I wanted to get the second one. That's a Metroidvania? Yeah, very Metroid. Yeah, like yeah. Straight up like Metroid, NES Metroidvania. Uh, a little bit more polished, better map screen, all that kind of stuff. Hyperlight Drifter, obviously, I've played and beaten and loved. Um, and then I could fell, I followed the developer for a long time and I really liked the look of that game and it came out, people liked it a lot so I was like oh okay, I'll, I'll buy it but I'm going to buy it. It's cool to have indie games physical. This is really cool. Same with One Step totally. from Eden. Like, I heard really good things about it, so I just was like, I'll take a chance on it. It's like 30 bucks. So, yeah, those ones are less uh, experience, experiential, but Axiom Verge 2, I feel like I've got an idea of what it's going to be like since I played the first one, and people are a little bit more lukewarm on the second, but, I mean, I wasn't, like, super in love with the first one. I just thought it was just really cool. Like, one dude made this, and it's awesome. Like that was that made it cooler to me. Had a lot of beef with Limited Run over the last five years, and we've talked about it on this podcast at uh, length. But since they started working with bigger developers and have some backing, and their pre-order model has changed, it's they say Limited Run, but it's no longer you know a fight to the death over five hundred copies of something or a thousand copies of something. You know they're finally doing the thing that we all wanted for years, which is produce enough games for anyone who wanted them. And, and, and with more awareness and with more funding and more cooperation from developers, 
that's a reality now. So um, I don't feel quite so uh, uh, disgusted with myself for supporting them as I used to. Yeah. Um, now that it's actually a consumer friendly uh, experience, and now it becomes a matter of of games preservation, and and now it's now it's a cool thing. So I'm glad. I'm glad that that it all worked out that way. I ordered a uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which of course famously was taken down from all you know from P- PlayStation Network, and you you couldn't you couldn't play it if you you know got a new system. You couldn't you couldn't re-download it. You couldn't buy it. Sort of uh, kickstarted the the controversy over like digital media and why like this move to digital is a horrible horrible consumer you know direction and to see that come back revamped uh, you know in the response to it that was that was cool and so hopefully you know like, like you said fan gamer i am 8 bit like there are companies out there doing this i don't know it always sounds dumb to be like games preservation like we're building the fucking library of alexandria or some shit but like it's important to me personally any historic component aside it's important to me that i'm able to like access these games when my 12 year old is like playing video games one day you know, and I can be the old man who's like, right. You know, I don't have to try and go find some fucking fan hacked, like jank server. No, you just have to find your copy of the game buried in your garage. <laughs> Come on, man. You think better of me. Think better of me. You think I'll be a, a shit in the garage kind of guy? No, 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 no. Uh, you've moved past that moment in your life. <laughs> I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be the, the, the no, no closet for the first 10 years of my child's life. And then, as soon as they become a preteen, it opens up like a cartoon and, and the rays of glory coming out of it. Yeah, your library of Alexandria. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I feel that. Exactly. Basement for sure with display shelves, like controllers and consoles, games, like it's all it's all going to be out there. I kind of had at one point, I kind of reached this apex of like income versus lack of responsibility versus like <laughs> young enough still. That I kind of had, I mean, we lived in a small apartment, but I had an office and I'm like, I had my display shelves and I got to enjoy my collection and I'm glad I did. Um, But I don't think I'll ever quite get back to that point. But I want to preserve. And if I open my closet right here to my left, you would see not just video games, but like Pokemon cards and like action figures, things that I have very fond memories for as a child that I one day... I've got a sealed Goku Irwin Dragon Ball figurine that one day my kid is going to like Dragon Ball just enough that I'm going to be like, here, open this. You know what I mean? And hopefully pass on some modicum of the joy that I had as a 10-year-old to my kid or kids, you know, to see that with video games despite this digital age, you know, think about it. All of our media is digital. There there are literal blockbuster films that haven't gotten physical releases. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the fact that video games, it's kind of like I look at um, like literature, like books sort of fought the digital revolution and have found their niche in a modern age, you know? Vinyl records. Yeah. LPs came back because, you know. Big sweaty nerds like you. (laughs) uh Uh-huh. Exactly. But but it was cool to see books do that. And now video games are kind of doing that too. And and there's still that fight. But it's cool that we're going to land in a spot, I think, that is good for everybody and physical media will never go away the way that like movies physical media is dead like you know yeah they make blu-rays of some things but like it's we fought and lost that fight can we can we talk about how crazy it is that movies had what 30 years 
of physical media and this is never going to happen again. Like how crazy is that? Books had many, many years. Music had a lot longer of a run and there's still, and it's still like sort of revived with the the whole vinyl kick, but movies there's never going to be like home releases of movies anymore. (laughs) There's no straight to DVD anymore. Straight to VHS. It's straight to stream. Yeah. It's a straight to Netflix. Straight to VOD. When are we going to get another Land Before Time movie? Is it going to Netflix or Hulu? Who has the rights? Is Don Bluth even still alive? <laughs> Nobody knows. It's impossible Nobody to tell. Nobody knows. The, the nightmare that has become the streaming landscape. It's a hellscape. It's not It's not good. It's, it's awful. I mean, it's just, it's cable, but worse. I mean, it's just, what a nightmare it's become. And thank God, that video games will never become that. Well, knock on wood. I don't want to say never. But because... A lot of these companies rely on the big three for distribution. Like, no one's going to play your game if they don't own a Nintendo or a Sony. You know what I mean? I don't see that. I don't see companies being able to have, you know, having the means to, to sort of try and break off the way that all of these giant media conglomerates have been able to do with their own streaming services. At most, you know, we're going to have Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, and, you know, Google and Amazon will step in to, you know, fail every couple of years. But we know what the future of this sort of looks like, even if they have their own streaming this and streaming that. It's enough to be competitive and healthy ecosystem, but not to not become this ridiculous thing where now I'm spending $400 a month to watch four shows, you know? Yeah. And I'm almost completely uninterested in the the fates of the platform holders because there's always going to be independent teams. Like we literally spent how long... Uh, did you spend gushing about this game made by one guy and like five dudes who helped them with art? And I talked about Axiom Verge, which was made by like one dude. Me and Chris, some of, one of our favorite games of all time was made by like three guys in Australia and it cost $15. Like I'm not worried about the future of video games because there's always going to be people who are driven by the love of creating and the love of playing and want to share that love with others and have that drive. So I'm not worried about that. Same with like music. There's, there's always going to be people making music. It doesn't matter if it makes money. Movies are a little bit different. Movies cost a lot of money to make. Yeah. And there are, I've never been, I've never watched a movie by an indie team and was like, that was as good or better than a movie made by, you know, Disney or based on a sure. property that I like. So I think movies are much more fragile in that regard. Books are generally written by one person, so it's a little bit easier. I don't know. Media is strange, isn't it? It's just things that we do to pass the time. It's also like culturally, and we see this sort of like in in pockets with uh, uh, genres of music. Even the music is a massive, there's so much revenue in music, even if the way that revenue is generated has evolved dramatically in the last couple of decades. There'll always be money there, but it, but, 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 we see it with the type of genres that sort of become the the top 40, you know, who's driving the top 1% or 99% of revenue, I guess, the 1% of artists who are driving all the revenue in the industry. It becomes a cultural thing after a while. If 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 I don't know, if there's like this monopoly on on video games and we only get one kind of video game ever, yeah, we might have the guys making the indie, you know, this or that, but like eventually things are lost. As we get old and our children grow up without the context that we have, things will be lost in a few generations, you know, that we might never get back. So, so it's, it's easy to say, oh, it'll never go anywhere. Um, and on one hand, you're right. Like the tools for making music are so much more accessible right now to everyone in the world 
than they've ever fucking been. You know, like you can take this thing and make songs. You can make an album with this and like that's art and that's cool. But is that what we want all of our music to become? <laughs> you know what I mean? I know that's not what you're saying, but like. And also it, it's weird because you're talking about the top 40 being culture and is is the uniculture a good thing? Would it be better if no. it was more splintered? So it's yeah, it's it all just be. things that we're 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 aware of and we're experiencing and that's our lens, but it's it's kind of crazy just just thinking about that as a as a future possibility. Oh, fellas, anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? This sort of speaks to the league, but also sort of the landscape for the remainder of the year. Uh even with E3 getting canceled, did not count on no Nintendo presence in the surrounding weeks anyway, other than to sort of pimp Xenoblade Chronicles, and rightfully so. Um, but that, uh, I didn't plan for that. <laughs> big, big piece of my uh, back half of the year strat with the league was uh, waiting to see the those announcements that would come out, and I picked up some good some good titles uh, around there. Like Harvestill, I think is going to be like a, a sleeper hit for sure. Um, but I thought for sure I was we were going to get more announcements closer to then. Um, so I'm a little disappointed. Uh, but then again, looking at the release calendar, they kind of had a lot of the tent poles sort of laid out already. But they but they don't. They do that, though, where they'll go, okay, this is coming out in November in, like, July or August. Like, they're not reliant on... Yeah, and that still couldn't happen. I mean, we're just now hitting August. So they tend to have, you know, three directs. In, like, a normal year, they would have three big tentpole directs and maybe, like, two indie directs sort of to pad that out or, like, partner showcases. So I, I, I still think that there can be indies that get the Nintendo bump and get the recognition and get like people's eyes on it, which then leads to reviews and people praising them, which means fantasy critics like points. But just there's, there's no betting on that. Like you can't just rely on that either. Got to kind of dig in the dirt right now. We're kind of we're kind of coming to the to the close of announced games for the year. If there's one thing I've learned in almost two years of this is that like. Nintendo is not really reliable. It feels like there's such a gap between uh, Nintendo-centric releases. Even, you know, Pokemon Company, Nintendo, whatever. I think all the first parties kind of kind of have that. They, they, I mean, they, you know, yeah, you get an 82 to 85, but, you know, it feels like, I guess if you drafted nothing but 15, 12 to 15s, you know, you're doing well, but it just feels like... I've been disappointed with the quality of Nintendo titles uh, between all of us in the la- in the last two years of this thing, and uh, Nick, famously, you've had multiple Nintendo duds. Golf, <laughs> yeah, uh, dude. Striker Sports. Yeah, Chris said it. Sports games just aren't the play, but um, maybe not party sports. Yeah, sure. Multiplayer games, maybe. I, I don't know. There's there's got to be a code to crack that can scientifically point to why games review badly. I'm going to start drafting up some death threats and uh, we'll, we'll figure out where that goes. Yeah. Gamergate 2.0. <laughs> Cons Crusade Podcast. We will not wait eight months to record unless one of us kicks the damn bucket. You will hear from us uh, much sooner than eight months from now. There will be no buckets kicked. The only thing I'm kicking is it with the boys eventually. <laughs> one of these days. I see you guys all hung out, man. I was bummed. I, I couldn't come up. I got... Uh, COVID scared. Yeah, you didn't get to play play the hellscape that is Legretto and getting our ass kicked 
handily by Chris <laughs> over here. I know we have to wrap it up because Chris is jet lagged as hell right now, but I, I, I didn't I didn't hear about how this hangout went. You had the group chat together. Oh, Someone yeah, is yeah. always missing from the group chat hangouts. I mean, last time everyone was there except I was so stoned I might as well have not been there. You weren't there, Chris. No. You were gone. <laughs> I was gone. I was orbiting Pluto. Yeah, he went on his flight early, that's for sure. Oh we were, um, we were all excited to see you and I don't know what we got. Yeah, so we, uh, <laughs> I don't either. Uh, we kind of just hung out at Nana's place on the lake, which, you know, it's pretty. And Leaf and I hung out for the whole day. He blew uh, work off because he had a bunch of vacation time he had to cash in. Uh, nice. And w- we played cards, basically, is what we had time to do uh, when everybody got off work. Uh, I taught them this game that I learned uh, in a hostel from some Dutch folks uh, called Ligretto. And uh, I have my set now because it was sent to this address and not my Nana's address in Fairview. Um, but it's 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 car game. It's everybody plays uh, simultaneously, so it's really fast. You got to kind of be watching the board and watching your cards and watching other people's cards. And oh, EJ, you would hate it. It's infuriating. You would get so <laughs> salty yeah, so immediately, or you'd be really good at it and would rub in everyone's face. You'd be a sore winner or a sore loser. It- <laughs> We would get the worst EJ no matter what. Come on, give me some. I, okay. I know you yeah, so right. well. Okay, I think it's fun, but I've also never lost a game, including when all those Dutch folks were teaching me how to play. I kicked their asses two games in a row. They were like, this is unprecedented. He's got this wingspan. He could reach every corner of the table. I can, it's, and it's they tried. Up. They were actively coordinating to keep it away, keep the piles away from me. So you're all like, you're trying to make stacks from one to ten of like cards in the in the game in in the like physical boxed game their their colors but i didn't have that so we just played with with suits so you're making stacks of suits from ace to ten and everybody can play on every pile and you're trying to get rid of these 10 cards you have in front of you at the start of the game um meanwhile you're flipping through the rest of the deck and you can play anything that comes up that can be stacked on that um so you're basically just like slapping cards on the table as fast as you can and trying to keep track of like, okay, I've got like a six and seven of spades and there's a four of spades over here right now. So I got to be watching for that five because if that five comes out and I'm not ready, Nick's going to put his six of spades down and break my combo and I'm going to be stuck with that until another stack pops up. Um, but it's just fast, just like slapping cards, trying to like cork people off before they can play the card that you both have. It's fun. It's so much fun. Is this Egyptian rat screw? No, 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 no. No, it's similar, though, in that it's just like I'm keeping track of what I have, but I also have to keep track of what Chris and Drew and Leaf have and also what's on the table. And it's just it's mind numbing. It's crazy. It's impossible. I think it'd be easier with the the actual set of cards because I'm assuming these different decks have like different or the different instead of doing different suits, there's like different colors. It's colors and it's just I was getting fucked up. Huge numbers on very bold, clear colors. So you're just literally like that is a (laughs) visibility is a is a yeah, it's a downfall with the actual just like suits of cards. You're like, okay, I have spades and hearts and clubs and I don't know I see this pile of black cards over there and I don't know what number it is. And I have a four and is it a three? Oh no, it's a five. Now I missed it. Yeah, let me see if I can Find. I'll never financially recover from this. <laughs> Dude, I like games like that. I'll uh I'll, I'll go find the box. It's here somewhere, but anyway, yeah. yeah Ligretto is great. Regretto. Cosmic Shape Podcast.